0: All right. Well, Mark, uh, thank you for coming on here. Just for uh, for our listeners, uh, I I, uh, came across you. uh, A friend of mine sent me a video on YouTube about uh, Joseph Smith's assassination and um, what happened at Carthage Jail. You interviewed the producer of that film, and that's how I came across Hemlock Knots. I started absorbing some of your videos and reached out to you by email, I think you called me within half an hour, and we chatted as you were on the road that day. That's how I came across Hemlock Knots. Um, my background is RLDS, raised RLDS, which later became Community Christ Church. Uh, I just attend an independent restoration branch now. Um, for the last few years, my friend Corey and I have been doing an audio podcast, and we have kind of gravitated into the place where we are Talking about what the Book of Mormon teaches, as opposed to Mormonism, and I use that to cover RLDS, LDS, uh, the whole, the whole gamut, uh, and found that the Book of Mormon really the doctrine um, varies from a lot of what the Church ended up teaching and doing over time, including priesthood, which I think we'll get into today. Uh, so uh, that's that's where we've been at. We've had some good responses. We've had some people that were a little upset at what we're doing as we question some of the things the church has done. I, I know you've probably run into that, Mark, um, in your background. Oh, a little bit.
1: Yeah, most people are nice, yeah. but there's a few that, that have a hard time with it. So you're raised LDS,
0: correct? Tell me about Hemlock Knots and how you decided uh, to bring that about.
1: Yeah, so that was an independent study project. I had been ser- researching uh, different topics in church history. I realized they didn't know church history very well about three years ago or so, and then... Uh, you know a family member had read the CES letter and had a bunch of questions about polygamy and I'd heard some new things um, from that argument and so i just thought i'm going to sit down and i'm going to just gonna put it all on a timeline i'm going to figure out what happened and when so i can so i can tell this guy um, why polygamy is amazing so it started out with polygamy but hemlock knots is just any topic in church history really and so i was you know i was surprised as i put together a lot of stuff and i dug deep into the resources the original source material um like anybody would, you just start noticing some really, really strange stuff. So I'm like, someone's got to catalog this and and make it easy to digest for people to stumble upon and and just get a starter in um, the lesson of why we should really pay attention to source material.
0: Uh, just for our listeners on the RLDS side, uh, the CES letter, if you want to describe that a little bit, it's my understanding there was a, a person that said a letter, sent a letter to the a bishop or to one of the leaders of the church listing out a whole slew of questions they had about the church. Uh, Is that pretty much it? And that kind of, yeah,
1: yeah, it was the dodgy part of Mormon history kind of exposed into a tightly packaged letter of of several. And that kind of
0: made its way onto the internet. And I don't, was it true that it was never responded to um, by the person that was sent to, but I think a lot of people have commented on it.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. And, And a lot of stuff in that letter is found dozens, mm-hmm. hundreds of places. A lot of these arguments aren't necessarily new, but that, okay. one, that one made the rounds and it became pretty popular. And so it caused some trouble because, you know, Latter-day Saint Church historically has, has chosen the, the method of ignoring things or da- downplaying or, you know, gaslighting certain topics. Instead of just addressing them and apologizing and then making amends and moving forward, I think, um, you know, that's what causes most people to stumble is that they're, they're just wondering, why does the church try to hide this stuff? And that's really where most people get hung up, right?
0: Yeah, I I found some things very helpful on your website. I want to point those out. I don't want to go into too much detail because I really I want our listeners to go and watch them for themselves. But I do want to uh, maybe tempt them or, or give them just a little bit of a of a preview of things I saw that were fascinating. Number one, Mark, you did a, a great great video on information, and anybody that wants to research church history and understand. Uh, the pros and cons, the arguments, uh, really need to understand where the information is coming from. Uh, for instance, like in, in our history, we have the times and seasons that uh, is common to both of our, both sides of the aisle, LDS, RLDS. That was the periodical during the Nauvoo period. Uh, and then we have church history, and then you also have church history. And our right. church history borrows from the times and seasons and reproduces some of that. But that that's you know, people quote and say, well, church history says this. Well, where is that coming from? Well, it's coming from the times and seasons. Well, which person in the times and seasons wrote that? Was it Joseph? Was it Oliver? Was it the editors? Uh, So even quoting church history or the times and seasons, you really have to get to the source. And then you find out as you've, yeah, as you've gone into your video, is it a first person account? You know, how many years was it written after it came out? Or was it a third person account? And and so I think that video on, you know, how good is information is just a, a really great place for anybody to start that's questioning our history.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I think that's the one that everyone needs to watch first, I think, because they understand how we talk about the sources. And, you know, we'll throw out some tidbits here about latency and, you know, proximity and, you know, bias and all these terms that, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it won't make a lot of sense. But um, that's a good one. Yeah, that's that shows you why we should pay attention to the sources, the quality of the sources, not just what the source says, but the quality of it, you know?
0: That's, that was a one point that I took away from that was, I think you made the point, there's a lot of quantity. There's a huge amount of quantity uh, that may overrun quality, especially when it comes to polygamy, because everybody likes to chat about something nefarious, right? But when it comes to quality and who was the first person to count, including Joseph, what did Joseph actually say? And right, uh, you get into the quality of the, and, just hanging out on polygamy. That was the other video, Mark. You uh, you really got into, and you've inter- interviewed a couple other uh, Latter-day Saints that have written a book. Uh, one of them writ- written, wrote a book um, revealing Joseph Smith, I believe. Right. And then you had Rob Fotheringham on, who gave a really nice interview. I thought that interview was great. You did with him, where he did some research and found out that polygamy really was maybe a Brigham Young thing and not a Joseph thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, we like to give a a microphone to anybody who's willing to analyze source material. I don't, we don't care what their beliefs are. They can totally Mm -hmm. disagree with me. That's fine. Um, You know, they can be in the box, so to speak, or out of the box or ex Mormon. We don't really care. As long as someone has the ability to understand the source material and show it and document their work, we'll let anybody come on the show.
0: That's great. That's great. We, uh, so one of the areas that you and I, we haven't really talked a lot. We've talked on the phone a couple of times. Um, as Corey and I have dis- have discovered and have really tried to go into the doctrine of the Book of Mormon, what does the Book of Mormon teach? Because we grew up, I grew up, learning how to defend the Book of Mormon as a legitimate work, right? Uh, you know, this is why yeah. it's true. And, and how, could a, how could a 16-year-old write something like this? And we go into the Hebrew and the language, and then you get into artifacts. And, hey, where are all those at? And, Some people say, yeah, there are, there aren't, but spending so much energy trying to get people to believe that the Book of Mormon is a divine book, uh, really we're trying to redirect that energy into, we're not going to try to defend the book anymore other than to say, what does it teach and what's the beautiful message of the book? And that oftentimes departs from uh, classic church teaching in Mormonism, um, before we get into the priesthood, one other thing I just wanted to ask you briefly, and this is totally your opinion, not research, but um, I think the LDS Church, having not experienced it myself, but talking to members, the hold that the church has, because we grew up, you know, with the, the one true church, both of us, I think, have, have probably heard that and been taught that. Yeah. The only church on the face of the earth, the Lord's uh, directing and through living prophets and priesthood authority. When you grow up with that and then you start to see things that don't add up a lot of people are left uh deciding that they have to throw everything out and and unfortunately i think a lot of latter-day saints you know with john delin podcast and mormon stories they uh they just leave the faith and become atheist or agnostic because where do you go when you've been told you're the one true church and then you find out things are adding up all the time
1: yeah, that's a g- good question. You know, when I was uh when I was young, it was it was taught very clearly in in the mission field as well as at church and in an institute the idea of the it's the logical fallacy. If the book of Mormon's true, therefore and then a chain of things, you know, the church is true, then Joseph Smith is true prophet, okay. and then we really have the priesthood, and then Russell M Nelson today is the living oracle, right? So <laughs> The problem is, is once any of those things in the chain get broken, you've got a disaster. You've got a faith crisis, right? And so I like to independently separate all of these chains and say, look, they're not related. Just because the Book of Mormon's true, it has nothing to do with today's church. Nothing. It's a standalone book that was brought forth in a, hi- a flash of history and time a couple hundred years ago, and it stands by itself. Its message can be true or false, and it doesn't have any implications to your church, my church, or anything like that. And so... We're better off, I think, treating that book independently than we would as a as a facet of any ch- religious group today.
0: I, uh, as I hear from people who do have that kind of faith crisis, um, what I want, what I want to do is just be a voice. I think, as you're doing, presenting information and have people realize that uh, you don't have to throw out the Book of Mormon or what the Church. Started with the reorganization, started with that was yeah. the Book of Mormon first before there was priesthood and baptisms and anything else. It was trans, translate this book, uh, and so we, we get into the priesthood. I was going to ask you just before we go maybe into the history or what the Book of Mormon teaches about priesthood, uh, <laughs> this uh, succession, what do you know about? So, uh, you know, our faith was all one until Joseph was martyred, and then you've got any number of splits and breakoffs then our church basically hung out until Joseph the third was old enough to take his place as prophet and believe that he was the successor but there were some other people set aside was there not uh, as to be the successor of the church at different points in history
1: I think so there's some there's some evidence that shows that you know well Strang's got his claims right and then you've got Samuel Smith was believed by many to be the next you know Hiram obviously took over the church, even in Nauvoo um, as president, co-president at least. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different claims. I, th- I think who succeeded David Whitmer at one time. Yeah, maybe. I, think <laughs> I mean, I've lost team. track of all the claims. Yeah. There's probably at least a dozen or so maybe more uh, of people just claiming that they were the next of, of kin with with Joseph and taken over the church. But to me, that's the wrong question. I don't, I don't think it's a question of did we get the right successor? I think it's a question of, Um, What happened to the church during Joseph's time? Uh, Why were they they condemned? Why were they cut off? Why were the saints scattered, smitten, driven, not protected? Why did the Lord not fight their battles, obviously? You know, there's bigger questions at play besides who took over after Joseph died um, that I think are are far more pressing. As I study the Doctrine and Covenants, the Book of Commandments, church history, I see very clear evidence that the church itself fell into deep apostasy even during Joseph's lifetime.
0: I think we both, I agree with that, wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, If you judge a tree by its fruit, and that's just one thing you can't get away from, uh, once the Book of Mormon was published, boy, take the uh, history of the church from from the Kirtland and the failed uh, bank notes to the saints being left and the temple going back to the to the citizens and farm animals being <clears throat> inside the temple, uh, to Zion and independence being run out, to far west, uh, Liberty Jail, so many things.
1: Yeah, it was a Just mess. one
0: after another. It's like, where is this new Jerusalem that was promised? I think, uh, so your section 84, I believe, Doctrine and Covenants, are 83, Joseph makes a, a prophecy that the spot for the temple is lying west of the courthouse, Independence, Missouri. That's actually two blocks from where I live right now. I live two blocks north of the temple site in Independence. Um, And that this temple would be reared in this generation. Well, the saints were run out of Independence. That temple was never built. There's a there's a community Christ temple now near the spot, but um, it was not reared in that generation. And the saints were were slowly run out of there.
1: Right. Yeah. I was going to ask,
0: Oh, go
1: ahead. i just gonna say, it never happened. Yeah, it's it's clear that a lot of those promises and things never materialized. Now, whether they will happen in the future or not, that that's up to up to debate. You know, a lot of people think that those are yet to happen still, and that's fine. But you know, we know that during Joseph's time, a lot of those prophecies just didn't didn't pan out.
0: I grew up in Ohio, moved here in my 20s because of the gathering because we believed that Joseph's concept of the new Jerusalem spoken of in the Book of Mormon um, came to be this Zion that they called. And I believe they thought they were going to establish it and build a holy city in his lifetime. I think there's enough written that that was their mindset. I think Brigham at once said we were like 12 years into the millennium. Uh, They thought that this was this was rolling forth at that time. And so people lose their hope when they're when they start seeing these things not coming to pass. Well, what in the world? Where is the sign? What's why is it? You know, we're, we're yeah. fighting more than ever. Where is the sign?
1: The Lord delayeth His coming. You know, that's that's He said yeah. it would happen. Yeah, well, people let's have been, it. People have been looking forward to the second coming for for a couple hundred years. They've thought it would be in their lifetime. There's patriarchal blessings that say that they were in the 1830s and 40s. They said you'd live to see Christ coming again. So, what that means, I don't know. But you know. We've been in the last days for a really, really long time, and so maybe they weren't the last days back then, right? Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about priesthood, Mark. This is uh, so sure. I was. I don't think we, I need to make the disclaimer. I we are just we are talking. These are questions that I have heard that my friends have asked. I think we should be allowed to ask these questions without. Uh, being accused of uh, you know, trying to tear down the whole organization I'm not trying to do that at all but I do have questions and I, and it was funny in our first conversation we were just kind of kicking around different things that we did have questions on in the, in the church and the priesthood is very simple in the Book of Mormon um, and I either I brought up or you did but I, we've talked about with my friends where is the need for an ironic priesthood or a, um, an ironic priesthood? post Jesus Christ dying and being sacrificed as the lamb of God for our sins. There is no high priest, which high priest, that's a word that has different meanings, but the high priests were after the Levitical priesthood. Is that correct? In the old Testament that were doing the sacrifices.
1: I mean, high priest. They, right. I, yeah. But those guys were not by any means, holy men. Um, I think history shows that.
0: So I think there's room, <clears throat> if the Lord wanted to uh, establish a priesthood uh, in his church, certainly he has every right to do that, but it's not, so the Aaronic Priesthood all of a sudden now has a completely different function than Old Testament, um, but the question is, where where is the word Aaronic Priesthood or Melchizedek in the Book of Mormon, and how did these things come to be? So talk to me about what you've kind of researched in priesthood.
1: Uh, yeah, and I'm by no means an expert or authority sure. figure. I mean, I've got, I've just studied it, you know, as hard as anybody else has who's, who's been interested in the question. But the Book of Mormon doesn't talk about the Aaronic Priest. It doesn't talk about Aaron. It doesn't talk about um, anything like that in that terminology. Now, some people will say, "Well, Jesus gave people authority or power to baptize. It was, gave him power to baptize this people, this particular people, when I am gone into heaven." So, yes, he did give a certain amount of people a job to baptize and to to teach and to do a bunch of things, but um, you know, the, the holy order is spoken of by Alma in, in chapter 13, right? And it's likened unto, you know, Melchizedek and Christ, and it's after that order, after the son of God. Um, that's the only type of priesthood that I'm aware of that's, that's mentioned in the book of Mormon is the high priesthood, the the real priesthood, I would call it, you know, the, the holy order. Um, mm-hmm. and that's just sanctified individuals that are, that are part of the, the Christ church, you know, um, there's nothing about Aaron or anything like that in the Book of Mormon, um, and that's okay. But you know, we've also got, um, you know, some of the some of the stuff that comes up is that you've got this timeline. You know, biblical scholar, scholars are, from what I can tell, they're they're in consensus as far as where the ideas came from in the in the Old Testament, where. The priesthood of Aaron was established among the Levites, and they were a chosen people. They were independent from the tribes. They got no inheritance. The Levites initially got no inheritance, um, and you read why in, in Genesis, the end of it. They were, they were pretty evil people, um, and Jacob wrote them out of the will. So the JEPD source you see at the very bottom, that's the Old Testament, the Pentateuch as we have it now. That was not compiled until about 450 BCE. And so our Old Testament does not go back to Adam. It does not go back to Moses. It doesn't go back to King David. It doesn't go back to any of this stuff except for around the time of Ezra in the Old Testament. So this is a relatively new conglomeration of writings that came together. And you see that this P source over here came after um, 722 BCE, right? After the exile. And so this is a a new source and this P source is the one that's entirely responsible for going back into the story and writing in Aaron as some equivalent to Moses. They say that Aaron is Moses's brother. No other source, the J the E the D any of these other sources that are actually older than P none of those sources mention Aaron at all, except for as an idolater and as someone who rebelled against Moses right? And Miriam, Miriam's sister, um, Miriam's brother, Aaron, and they were she was smitten with leprosy. And there's all these issues with Moses, right? These power struggles. Um, but the peace source, when it comes around, um, some, some would, most would even argue that that source did not exist until after Lehi left Jerusalem. So this is how new this idea is of the Aaronic Priesthood. That could be why it's never mentioned in the Book of Mormon, because that piece of history hadn't even been written yet. They literally fabricated a story about Aaron most likely being um, co-equal to Moses you know Moses went up on the mountain with Aaron Um, Aaron you know Aaron's rod had magical powers Um, the idea that Aaron's descendants were in charge of the priestly duties at the temple and that they did all the sacrifices everybody was to pay tithing and only the people of Levi were to benefit from that tithing right People would come and offer up you know, meat sacrifices at the temple, and then you know, they'd have to give a certain portion to the priests. So there's all this weird stuff that happens in the priestly source, and it's isolated entirely to the priestly source, which largely wrote like over 99% of the, the book of Leviticus was written by this priestly source. So the feast days, the holidays, the holy days, the, uh, the sacrifices, all the rituals, you know, all the temple worship stuff. Um, largely came from this priestly source, which came probably after Lehi left Jerusalem.
0: So, perhaps written by some of the very uh, the Levitical priests themselves? Or...
1: Yes. So, here you have the blue portion. Can you see on the screen? The blue yeah. The blue portion is the portion of the, um, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. The, look at the blue portion here. That's the priestly source that was written probably somewhere you know, as late as 450 BCE, give or take, and as early as maybe, you know, 700 BCE, you know, people, scholars will argue about where exactly that was, that was created, but they do agree in general that it came after the Deuteronomist source. And that was a a major problem when there was a reformation, um, and the Deuteronomists, you know, their law was, was kind of added and expanded upon and, and things changed as far as the affairs of the kingdom. So, look at this blue source here. The oldest source is the J source, the red one. And then the second oldest is the E source, the green one. And now you've got the priestly source, which dominates most of the end of the five books of Moses, as far as the rituals and the sacrifices and all the technicalities. Um, But that's the same source that went in into the book of Genesis and made Aaron a hero. They made him a holy man. Whereas before, um, the J source and the E source, they don't talk about Aaron in the same way. In fact, they don't even mention that Aaron is Moses' brother. Now, here's something that's really interesting. The priestly source in blue, this was written by a guild of priests in Jerusalem that were claiming to be the, de- the descendants of Aaron. Of course, they had an incentive to say that Aaron was the chosen lineage that was in charge of the, the priesthood and the temple, right? Right. And so these people had everything to gain by changing history to where they were the chosen lineage. But if you go back to Jacob and the records in J and E, and, and Jacob's patriarchal blessings in the end of Genesis, the Levites were not looked upon favorably at all. In fact, you know Aaron was known in those sources as an idolater, built the golden mm-hmm. calf, you know. And so I have um, some major questions about the Aaronic priesthood. Um, simply because, you know, you study the history of it and and, and how we got those writings and it's just nefarious at best. It's not a good thing. And I think that some people in the early dispensation, Sidney Rigdon especially, he was a huge fan of the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. Um, Oliver Cowdery was. He was kind of aspiring to be the one likened to Moses and be Aaron, you know, and he actually changed one of the sections about him, the revelation, and and made some edits there. Yeah, Um,
0: that was... uh, Is that where he was called the second elder, or at one time they were just elders and then all of a sudden apostles.
1: Yeah. And nowadays it's, it's DNC section eight. And I think, uh, section 28, talk about Aaron. And so study the history there and see how those have been altered and changed as well. So, you know, long story short, this dispensation we have recently with Joseph Smith, there was nothing about the Aaronic priesthood at all in any of the church history up until 1834 October eighteen thirty four. That's when Oliver Cowdery first makes mention of it in the Messenger and the Advocate, that I can tell. Um,
0: yeah, so let's let's talk about that for just a second. And I sure. love this. Uh, I love this. This blue uh, that was interesting. That last slide you had up there, how it's very, very much in Leviticus, but you can see there's it looks like there's little pointed parts in Genesis, very small that, that mm-hmm. you say, and that's where they went in and kind of messed with Aaron's history or, or made him maybe, or at least it's different about yeah. who Aaron was from those sources.
1: And if you read most of the Genesis stuff going into early Exodus, you can see how this P source in blue heavily was obsessed with Aaron. They wrote about Aaron constantly and Aaron this, Aaron that, Aaron's amazing. Uh, Aaron's, the sons of Aaron are, you know, the chosen one. And I mean, it was just, Self-serving at best, you know, uh, but all of the other historical writers, they had no idea that Aaron was anything special other than an idolater. Mm. And so they had, they had a heavy incentive, I think, to flip the script and to get them in charge of uh, the pot of gold inside the temple, you know, very profitable. this was a theocracy. Remember political and religious power were associated. They were joined at the hip. Um, there was a lot writing on that. And King David was the one who set up a priest from the Northern kingdom from the lineage of Aaron, supposedly, Abiathar, with a priest from the southern kingdom, Zadok, and those two were running the the temple um, and the rituals, the the collective rituals in Jerusalem during you know David, Solomon, and beyond.
0: Before we talk about Oliver and Joseph uh, and the priesthood being restored, I just I wanted to point out uh, it's fun for me when I hear of something like like the word faith to go back into the old Testament and try to find the very first usage of that word. And what exactly did it mean? And, and how has it morphed over time, you know, with our language today? Uh, and so I, I went back and was just looking up, I thought, where, where did we first hear of priesthood? Well, in the King James version, uh, it's first met, mentioned, uh, in relation to Melchizedek, Melchizedek was the King of Salem, which became Jeru Salem or Jerusalem.
1: New Salem. Um, so, yep.
0: Yeah. So he was actually a king and a priest, uh, two roles because Abraham, you know, paid tithing to Melchizedek. Uh, but in the inspired version, or the Joseph Smith translation, um, there's a reference to the priesthood in Adam and and in Genesis. In the inspired version, it's five forty five, but it says all things were confirmed unto Adam by a holy ordinance and the gospel preached. Uh, and a decree sent forth, it should be so in the world until the end thereof. And thus it was. So there's, although it doesn't use the word priesthood and really not, neither does the King James, uh, uh, it was a a holy ordinance of some sort given to Adam. Now that's only in the Joseph Smith translation. So yeah. uh, that's the only thing we have to, that's not in any of the J.P. older nope. versions of the Bible. None of it. So that's totally hanging your hat on Joseph and what. <laughs> what he uh, put into there, which is, which is fine, but just that's, it's not in any of the older manuscripts so far that have come forth.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if we want to get technical about what Joseph Smith taught in the JST and in the Book of Mormon, um, Aaron was not Moses' brother. Aaron was a Levite. Moses was of Joseph. He's a Josephite. He's not mm-hmm. even a Levite. So if we want to get technical, JST Genesis 50, verse 29 it says that, and by this name, Moses, he shall know that he is of thy house, thy Joseph of Egypt's house, for he shall be nursed by the king's daughter, and all this stuff. And then second Nephi three, which has similarities to JST Genesis 50, also confirms that Joseph, I mean, Moses is of Joseph. He's not a Levite. How can they be brothers, biological brothers? The only thing in the Bible that talks about Aaron being his brother is um, something about thy brother, Levite. So... Um, in Exodus 4, 14, it says, is not Aaron, the Levite, thy brother? Why would God call Aaron, Aaron, the Levite? He's specifying a specific Aaron. He's not saying, Hey, Moses, Aaron, your brother. He's saying Aaron, the Levite, which is like, don't you think Moses would know who his own brother was if God was like, Hey, another mother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, there's some strange stuff in this story. It's really, really bizarre. I'm 100% convinced though that Moses and Aaron were not siblings. Um, And there's a lot of biblical consensus on this. Um, I mean, you can look up all kinds of articles here, right? Contradictions in the Bible, number 95 on this site. Is Aaron Moses' brother, Levite, or his real brother? And they go into all this stuff. And so even biblical writers, um, biblical analysts and scholars are are seeing these issues. It's not just me with a conspiracy theory, like 90 something percent of, of historians and biblical writers who understand these scripts and where they came from um, archaeologically, you know, historically they see 10 times more about the Aaronic priesthood problems than the Latter-day Saints are willing to accept. You know, that's
0: fascinating. And, and of course the book of Mormon speaks to these problems on the title page which I think was just a summary of what you're going to have in this book by Moroni but the, or by Mormon. But um, it says that, especially in First Nephi, the third chapter in the RLDS, but, you know, these verses are all going to be different, but you can Google the phrases and find the scriptures easy enough. It talks about uh, the plain and precious parts of the gospel uh, being restored. It also says the Gentiles stumble because the words went forth in purity from God and, and then uh, was corrupted by the great and abominable church and many plain and precious things were removed. Um, and we don't really know exactly what that is, but this, this, is, this could very well be pointing to some of those plain and precious things because then where does the priesthood go and how does it morph and change over time uh, according to what God's original uh, plan was for it? Uh, so the Book of Mormon, So then you have to ask yourself a question, well, how much do I rely on the Book of Mormon and the priesthood as opposed to what was set up in the church? Uh, Because you really have to take it at its word that that there are people stumbling because of what has been removed. And the purpose of this was to restore knowledge. Uh, for us. So we would not stumble. Well, I, right. uh, obviously they're stumbling today. So you really do have to take the Book of Mormon at its word. But I think as a church, we keep trying to bring in uh, extracurricular stuff and make it fit. And that's where uh, people start to have these faith questions. Totally. Yeah. Uh, especially like, as you pointed out, the when, when the main Christian world with the internet and everything now, so much research and it's moving so fast, when the main Christian world Brings these questions up. Uh, it's it's just too easy to say, well, God did it through Joseph. He's the prophet, uh,
1: and then you know yeah, you in can't ignore the history, yeah, yeah. right. And, or just an appeal to the Bible. I mean, Joseph Smith said I, I found it impossible to settle any question by an appeal to the Bible because people interpret it so so many different ways, right? I yeah. mean, if you want to look at you know the Book of Mormon, even it even challenges. At least with hints, it's not definitive, but it even challenges the idea that, Joseph, uh, that Jesus would come through Judah, you know, through David. Um, you know, here is is Second Nephi 3 talking about how Joseph truly saw our day. This is um, Lehi talking. He obtained a promise of the Lord, and out of the fruit of his loins, Joseph's loins, the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch into the house of Israel. Not the Messiah, but a branch was supposed to be broken off. So he he's saying I'm not talking about Messiah's branch being broken off from Joseph. I'm talking about a different one that would, have, would have be broken off and risen up. So I don't know. I mean, we we've got the genealogies of even Jesus Christ in in Matthew. Luke and Matthew, yeah. that, that kind of give lineages to supposedly Mary, but also Joseph, which wasn't even father of Jesus. I mean, he was kind of a caretaker for Mary. And so we've got all these issues that we just need to keep studying, keep reading the book with open eyes, keep studying the words. What do these words actually say? What is the Book of Mormon trying to tell us in our day? Is it trying to help us unravel some of this false doctrine that we're drowning in right now, even among the Latter-day Saints? Because we, we take too much liberties to believe that the Bible... Um, and even the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price are these bulletproof, perfect books that, but they contradict each other hundreds, thousands of times. There's problems in the text themselves. So what do we believe, right? Right. And we have to just figure out what what are we willing to believe came from God and what are we willing to believe didn't. And then let heavier emphasis be put on, if it's the Book of Mormon that you believe is inspired, great. Let that tell the story. And if it doesn't mention ceilings to your spouse or wearing garments or any of these other things that you think are part of your theology, let them go. You know, if God gave us the Book of Mormon to to draw near unto him, Joseph Smith supposedly said, a man will draw nearer unto God by abiding by its precepts than any other book. Right? Right there in the title at the beginning. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Let let the book guide you then. Believe it. And don't tack on a bunch of weird doctrines that you only find in modern church teachings um if there's no origin of them in the book of mormon if that's your jam if the book of mormon is your your keystone um i think that's a shortcut you know studying the the book of mormon can really help people understand what christianity looked like in its untampered form historically
0: yeah and we assume uh, we the you know they had the brass plates um I think there's there's a place in the Book of Mormon uh, where they're talking about Adam and creation, and, and he says we you know we already I know that you already have this. I'm not going to go through all this. Uh, we don't know what they had as far as well as you pointed out, Ronnie Priest is not mentioned, but there's not a lot about the Law of Moses mentioned. We know they follow the Law of Moses, but there's not yeah. a bunch of specifics in the Book of Mormon and because it's so focused on Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament of the Book of Mormon, uh, you know, it was always a more righteous group led away that were willing to understand who Jesus Christ was and that he was allowed to be preached in a very plain and simple manner. I mean, you, you know, the apostles, when they saw Jesus, they, they still didn't get the crucifixion and resurrection until after it happened yeah, based on their right. history and their scriptures. But there was no mistaking on this land uh, his he, even his very name made, made mentioned by the angel, so it was, it was a very clear teaching throughout the Old Testament history. Sure,
1: and and, you, so, and some of that Old Testament history could be correct. Maybe there there was some sort of sacrifice that Moses wanted his people to do. You know, offering up a lamb in remembrance of Jesus coming. I think so. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe there was something. You know, Lehi offered sacrifices. Lehi and Sarai, it says, they're of Manasseh. They're not even of Levite descent. So like. They were steadying the ark. They should have been struck down by thunderbolts and lightning, you know? I mean, so they, according to the law, they should have been stoned because they're offering sacrifices unworthily because they're not of the Levite descent. So if we're going to cling to this ironic priesthood nonsense and, and insist that it's a thing from God, then why do we have Lehi disobeying the law given regarding who can offer sacrifices and who can't? Now, people would say, well, you know, uh, Zoram was a, a Levite, and they're just pulling answers out of their backside and making stuff up. but um, it doesn't say that Zoram offered sacrifice. it says that Lehi did and he's of Manasseh. So whatever the ironic priesthood was, I assure you, Lehi had no clue how it worked and God seemed to accept his offering, right? Mm-hmm. Do we really think that God would give just a certain lineage, the ability to worship him in the temple? No I don't. where Where's the precedent for that in any of the Book of Mormon? You got Lamanites going to the Nephites to preach. Nephites going to the Lamanites to preach. You've got people flip-flopping from different groups of people, and and God's not a respecter of persons. Black, white, bond, free, <laughs> male, female. It doesn't matter to Him. Why would the Levite idea of them being the only ones that go in the, in the temple worthily? Why would that fly for anybody who understands even the least bit about Jesus Christ and His character?
0: Yeah, yeah. Lamanites, you know, receiving the Holy Ghost before even you know, water baptism and. Well, so interesting thing about Lehi not being from the tribe of um, was from the tribe of Manasseh or Joseph. That's and then offering sacrifices. I think sometimes because something's not included in, in the canon of scripture in the Book of Mormon, we think we have a need to fill it in with, with other revelation or add to. I think sometimes the fact that it's not there says a lot more than the fact that it is there, as if this isn't, I mean, God easily could have made it a clear cut case if there was all these offices and things going on in the Book of Mormon. The yeah. fact that it's not there maybe shows that there's way too much importance placed on certain things that, that needn't be. I mean, not saying yeah. they didn't have the the Old Testament sacrifices. It's just not focused on as much. It says they fulfilled the law of Moses and, until Jesus
1: came. They were, they were practicing that. Yeah. But they admit they admit that the whole purpose of the law was to point people to remember that Christ was going to come. The law was about Christianity and teaching people, that, hey, remember that Jesus is coming soon, right? And so, <clears throat> um, and, and according to Alma, you know, Jesus was the last, the great and last sacrifice, right? I, I Even a God would be yeah. offered up in sacrifice. And that and that goes into the Hebrew 7 idea of like, you know, the last high priest, right?
0: It's funny we I, both read that, that yeah, chapter the we same did, day. Like, the same hey, day. Hebrews? I read it today. Actually. I just
1: read it this morning. Yeah. So yeah. we're on the great on the same page there. No, Hebrews, if you read chapters five through, I don't know, Hebrews nine, it actually makes the case against the Aaronic priesthood. You know, everyone's like, Oh, well, Hebrews five, four says no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as was, is italicized, meaning they added that in later on. And so, you know, technically, that could be written read several different ways. I mean, it could be read technically if, if you want to get into the word order and, and what was you know made into the English translation later on. No man taketh this honor unto himself as did Aaron, except he that is called of God. I mean, that that could be the way that it was originally written. I don't know, um, but then you've also got you know Hebrews is making the case that look if. Perfection comes from the Levitical order, from the Aaronic priesthood. If that's part of your path of progression, you've got Melchizedek who is a high priest and who obtained God. And yet he was born. Abraham came to him to get his priesthood. And Levi wasn't even born yet. Levi was still in the testicles of Abraham, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, the idea that it comes from the Levitical order or the Aaronic priesthood as a path to progression or a path to godliness is absolutely absurd. Mm -hmm. That that priesthood didn't exist when Melchizedek was around and he obtained heaven. And then you've got the argument made also in Hebrews where why was it necessary to raise up Jesus as a great high priest and he wasn't even of the Levite lineage? See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. God skips the Levites and the Aaronic priesthood in lots of different examples, Does it's not necessary for these people to have it. That's interesting.
0: So when, so when priesthood uh, is comes about in the restoration, you know, we have offices, we have teachers, deacons, and priests as members of the Aaronic priesthood, and then we have elders as the Melchizedek uh, high priests, seventies apostles. Uh, the word, for instance. That word deacon, from what I've understood, and there's a great resource if your listeners aware, called the Bible Project, out of Salem, Oregon. They have tons of videos, cartoons. They are so oh, yeah. well studied. In they Hebrew. are good. Yeah, yeah you good. know, uh, I've learned so much about the Bible from them. Uh, as a matter of fact, just a caveat: an interesting thing that came up is that when Jesus came and dwelt with us, the real, truest translation of that means he tabernacled with us. The only place you find that word oh, is in the Book of Mormon. That that Jesus took on a tabernacle of clay. It's not. I thought, well, that's got to be in the Bible. No, it's not in the Bible. It's in the Book of Mormon, which was oh, so. I, I see those nuggets all the time, which is really yeah. cool. But anyway, cool. they pointed out like that word deacon. It just it meant servant. It wasn't a official office. It was something that the apostles didn't have time to do, uh, wait tables and things. They so you, you have to wonder how did something like deacon when people see what that originally was, then morph into a a quote, priest at office. Um, and then were and then the yeah. word teachers, I've always questioned like the Book of Mormon had priests and teachers. Was that a was that actually an office or were they ordained to teach the people the gospel? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean there were people out teaching the doctrine of Christ all over the place in the Book of Mormon. That's okay. That doesn't have to be a priesthood assignment. Like we, We're we just taking LDS theology today and, and applying it to the Book of Mormon. Let the Book mm-hmm. of Mormon speak for itself. There were people that were set apart and, and commissioned to go out and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to nourish with the good word. You know, Moroni chapter 6 talks about that, how these people were taken and their names were recorded and they were remembered and they were nourished with the good word of God. They met together often to fast and to pray. Um, speak one another with about the welfare of their souls and stuff like that. So the, the first couple of verses of Moroni 6, though, they talk about how deacons, teachers, and priests were baptized, but they didn't baptize anybody except they first came forth with a broken heart and contrite spirit. You know, like you had to actually be ready for a full baptism in order to be even dunked by water, according to Moroni. And so maybe we do it wrong these days where we just take any old eight-year-old, throw him down in a font, give him church membership, and say, hey, good luck. You know, that's not how it worked, according to Moroni. They had to forth, first come forth with a broken heart, contrite spirit, truly witnessing unto the entire church that they had repented of all their sins. How do you witness to entire church that you're repentant of all your sins? It's going to take some time. They have to get to know you. You have to Especially serve among here.
0: them. And that, that number of eight years old, which both of our <laughs> both of our sides, RLDS, LDS, uh, I believe is in the Joseph Smith translation only in the old Testament of Genesis, perhaps Enoch that speaks about baptizing when they get to an age of accountability of eight.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: but that's not, that's not in the book of Mormon. That's not anywhere else. And, and so you think if all of a sudden someone's accountable for their sins around eight, what are they baptized for? If they haven't committed any yet,
1: Exactly. because all of a sudden
0: they've reached the age of accountability, uh, Another interesting question on priesthood that, I, that I've heard asked before is this number eight and only found in the in the Joseph Smith translation, not in the old manuscripts
1: of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, DNC 68 talks about that. But it also, if you read mm-hmm. it very carefully, it's talking about this is the law in Zion. Zion failed. There was no Zion. I'm sorry. This law doesn't apply to 200 years later, a bunch of cursed people out in the desert of Utah. You know what I'm talking about? So there's a very specific context to that that often gets ignored. Um, because we erroneously think that we're living in Zion, a, a zionic order, we're not. If we were, we should all be consecrating all of our properties and, and doing all the other stuff that goes with it, right? And so, yeah, yeah, the priesthood offices, uh, DNC 107. That was an 1835 edition. Edition um, that wasn't added until about 1835. 1834 is when they started crafting all this stuff. DNC Section 20 went through a couple of revisions. DNC 107 appeared in the 1835 edition, but the whole Book of Commandments didn't really speak about these things nearly as much. And you've also got, was it John Whitmer or David Whitmer? John Whitmer, the church historian in the early Mm -hmm. days. You know, his writings, when they came out, he didn't even mention anything about John the Baptist giving the Aaronic priesthood keys or any of that stuff. In fact, we don't Go get ahead. that until like 1838 when they're sitting down and trying to rewrite the, the history of the church. It's sort of like the story evolved into something much, much bigger. I think the first time we have mentioned that I can find is, uh, you know, it's uh, Oliver Cowdery in Messenger and Advocate, October 1834, which is at the very end of your Pearl of Great Price. It's literally the last words in there. Second from last paragraph, you'll read that Oliver Cowdery's talking about this instant. And he says, this priesthood, he doesn't call it the ironic Priesthood, there's nothing attached to it. Um, says it came from an angel, a messenger, doesn't even mention, I think John the Baptist wasn't even mentioned, but you know, that the section in the DNC right now, that section 13, that says upon you, my fellow servants in the name of Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, right? That the sons of Levi will offer again an offering in righteousness. That was added in 1876 by Brigham Young. That was never part of the original canon. It was never even a revelation. They just sort of made it into that from some journal entry somewhere or something, but, um, You know, that was added later on in 1876. They needed that to be in there for whatever reason. Um, But in the Book of Mormon, uh, 3 Nephi 24, verse 3, Jesus talks about the sons of Levi. And he says that they will be purged, that they will yet offer again an offering in righteousness. In other words, they haven't been historically offering a, a righteous offering. Why would they need to be purged? Why would they need to repent if they are the chosen seed and the high priests that are supposed to officiate in all this stuff—what is Jesus talking about? Where did they go off off the rails?
0: Yeah, they. You mentioned something I want to back up a little bit and hang out there for a second. Sure. Uh, and this is this is not to be, not to hurt anybody's faith or be controversial. It's just a question. Joseph, so you were at the <laughs> Book of Commandments uh, originally had a very short section when the eighteen thirty. Five or later edition of the Doctrine and Covenants added five hundred words. I think you have it actually on your. I think I have it pulled up here. I don't know if I can share it with you. I have it pulled up, but anyway, they that's added section. a book uh, for you. Let's see, it's eighteen thirty-three versus the eighteen thirty-five edition, but I'm not sure. It may be chapter. It may be section twenty-seven. It's on oh. your end.
1: Yeah, that that one's been. They added a lot to that. Yeah. Um, let me try to pull it up and show it. Yeah. Okay, um, 1833 to 1835 edition. Let me share my screen real quick. Yeah. Um, just so the viewers can see this. Yeah, there you go. All right, so this is these are comparing. Um, this is DNC Compare. Whoops. Let me try to get this a little bit bigger over here.
0: This would be Section 26 in the RLDS, I think, if it's Section 27 in...
1: Yeah. So the 1833 edition on the left, which is highlighted in orange, you know, that's the Book of Commandments edition. And then you've got the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants on the right. Is this what you're talking about where they just yes. kind of yeah. just throw in a bunch of stuff about Moroni, well, Peter, James, where, and John? Right, right. So this
0: is so, okay. So here's where they mentioned Peter, James, and John, and it's in the 1835 edition. Uh, but this happened supposedly happened in 1828 or 1829 before the church was officially organized the priesthood i believe but Uh, nothing yeah nothing was mentioned so you would think when the church was being organized Why wasn't there any mention of the priesthood authority being restored?
1: Exactly. It's so foundational. It's so fundamental to the entire restoration. Why did nobody know about it until 1834? That's my biggest question.
0: Correct. Yeah. So that was, what, five, six, six years after the experience. Um, I realized, you know, those guys were probably pretty busy and and maybe didn't have time to, to write it down or didn't think it, necessary at the time uh that's to me that's a i can't imagine having peter james and john appear and and lay hands on my head and not have that recorded or at least spoken of to the saints at that time but what a miraculous uh thing the priesthood has just been restored here on earth yeah so so
1: that's a question that should have made headlines so and then you've got john whitmer right the 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 official church historian he doesn't mention anything about Peter, James, and John laying hands on people's heads. He mentions that at Isaac Morley Farm in June of 1831 is the first time that the Melchizedek priesthood is given to anybody in this dispensation. And that's, you know, according to some of the people that were there at that event, they also say that was the first time it was conferred. And so I, I don't know, what is it? like did, did all of those people at the Isaac Morley Farm conference, you tell me not one of them didn't raise their hand and be like, wait a minute, what about Peter, James, and John? I thought they already did this.
0: Mm right? Yeah. These, these are the things that make me go, Hmm. yeah. Uh, it sh- it but should. Also, Any intelligent also, person
1: should be questioning this.
0: And it's okay to, to question that because right. it, I always funnel back my original thought process of the book of Mormon is to restore uh, those plain and precious things. And so not only is Bible history uh, over thousands of years, murky and and we, you know, the original records not even being there, but we have the original records in in a short period of less than 200 years. And look how murky and uh, muddy the, the church history is in just a short period of time. And maybe it's because we have the ability to write and record and people were taking journals and writings all along. And so we have those things to look at and you can see where things do make you question, you know, timelines and why were things left out. But but the book of mormon mm-hmm. doctrine is is really where i end up landing and what does it say and clarify
1: yeah i mean even then that's a that's a faith question whether or not mm-hmm. people trust the book of mormon as the reliable source i mean i tend to lean on the book of mormon more as as a pure record than i would the bible or even the dnc golly that's been through some it's hamburger meat these days <clears throat> but yeah, so people have to decide what they're willing to believe more of, right? Do you need a modern-day prophet? Do you need the arm of flesh to, to dictate everything to you? Then if, if so, then good luck, because mm-hmm. those policies are going to change. Revelations will be altered and changed. And always the living prophet being the most important is it's a disaster, man. I'll tell you what, because you know even in the Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 4 talks about how apostasies happen not because people strip out everything that's good, it's because they add a bunch of crap that doesn't need to be in there in your belief system. The Jews, for example, they expanded their um, their code of law to be, you know, I can't remember how many rules, but that's what we have today. You know, there's church handbooks, volume one and two. I don't know what the RLDS <clears throat> use, but there's these like manuals that dictate, you know, whether or not you can have abortion and what you can do on the Sabbath day and what you need to do to get a temple recommend. And I mean, it feels very much like the Jews in regards to... Um, what Jacob was talking about in chapter four, like these people sought for things they couldn't understand. They wanted the mysteries. So mm-hmm. God delivered them up. He let them just stumble and, and trip their way through um, what they thought was religion, but it wasn't.
0: I wonder man, um, when it says plain and precious parts being removed, if that meant literally cut out or just removed because so much was added around it that you can't see the simple, you know, for the, for the trees. it's it's. Uh, I'm finding those simple things in the Book of Mormon more and more that we're just hiding in plain sight because I have to deprogram from uh, a lot of the extra extraneous stuff that surrounds it. Uh, First, uh, just reading in Alma this past couple of weeks, it talks about uh, for those that don't harden their heart, they receive... Uh, of God's fullness, even in, uh, they receive of uh, the mysteries of God, even until they receive a fullness. And for those that harden their heart, they receive a lesser portion of the word, even until they receive nothing, and are taken down to hell and yeah. outer darkness. Well, to me, that's a very clear—that's a very clear doctrine that qu- casts question on this idea of eternal progression. And I know that the Mormons. Uh, sorry, the LDS have, I don't know what's politically correct anymore. The LDS have yeah. <laughs> have the have that to the nth degree as far as the That's RLDS right. have, but we still teach that there's a place in heaven you can be, but you're not with Jesus. There's a place in heaven you can be, but you're not with the father based on the glories. But the Book of Mormon to me is very simple that there's no, there's no hanging out in that middle ground area. You're either not hardening your heart and progressing in source until you receive the fullness or you or you hang out and and harden your heart until you have nothing and Satan seals you his and 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 perhaps if there is some glory system in heaven it's not in an eternal place you are on a pathway to be with the Father and return home yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah so I think you know about- the Book of Mormon but I think God. I tend to think the Book of Mormon is divine. I think it's a good record. It's, is it perfect? No, there's all kinds of problems with it. Um, however, that doesn't have to rattle me from from the principles in it being good and following them. So, you know, 2 Nephi 3 also talks about how the um, the fruit of the loins of Joseph shall write, right? And the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. And they shall grow together under the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions, Right? And establish peace among the fruit of thy loins, bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days. So we have this scripture about the stick of Judah, stick of Joseph, right? And traditionally, I'll tell you what, growing up LDS, the answer was, uh, yeah, Bible, Book of Mormon. Boom, we're going to merge them together into a quad and we're going to sell them at Deseret Mm -hmm. Book and boom, fulfillment of prophecy. I just ordered one this week in a larger print
0: <laughs> so I could have oh, yeah. the, the, the LDS Doctrine and Covenants.
1: There you go. But but we interpret that as meaning that the Bible and the Book of Mormon come together and both of them. No, baloney. No, these two records, Judah and Joseph, were going to grow together. They were going to be stitched together or abridged together. Now, you've got the, um, the, the Manassehites from Lehi coming over. Fruitful bough, over the wall, right? They're expanding in America. And you've also got who came over from Judah? Mulek. Mulek came here, and he brought his records, and King Mosiah had to interpret them and stitch them together into the history. So you've got now Mm -hmm. the record of Judah and the record of Joseph on the American continent growing together into one volume of Scripture, the Book of Mormon. And that volume of scripture was to come forth in the last days. Not the Bible. We've always had it for thousands of years, dummies. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about a new record where the Judah record and the Josephite record would be stitched together. And they would grow together to the confounding of false doctrines and to laying down contentions. Remember, Jesus said, no contentions among you. This is my doctrine of Christ, guys. Very simple. That's the book that God threw in the last days as a Hail Mary to us because he knew that by the time that 2,000-something rolls around, the scriptures, the religious interpretations, the histories will have been Frankenstein and altered to a large degree. He knew that we were in trouble. He wanted to give us a little something to help us.
0: That's an interesting point. I haven't thought of it that way because I I also was the Bible and the Book of Mormon. but So you're saying – it's already been stitched together, Joseph and Judah, through the editors and writers of the.
1: Yeah, Mormon and Moroni were called to bring these records together. I believe. Mm-hmm. Now we can debate all day long about the stick of Judah being the Bible, but you know, you and I, you and I know by now that not all that stuff was written by Judah. Correct. Uh, the priestly source that I just showed you is written by Levi. So how is that the record of Judah? It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's the record of a bunch of different people, right? You've got a bunch of kings that were wicked. Some of them weren't even. Israelites. I mean, some of them were Edomites, like King, uh, who's the King when Joseph or Jesus showed up on the scene? King Herod.
0: Herod. He yeah. was an
1: Edomite. He didn't even come from Jacob. Like, how is this dude the King of Israel? Right? <laughs> I think and
0: it so was my, mid, <laughs> my mid-20s before I realized Herod was actually of the, of the Jews and not a Roman king. Yeah.
1: The Bible is not this, the record of Judah, not, not exclusively. There are some Ju- Judah writers in there and there's some of that stuff. And, but, you know, I, I think it's talking about something else. I think the Book of Mormon is way more important than we give it credit for. I think that prophecy is about, look, these two records are going to come together and be embridged by, by some really good dudes, Mormon and Moroni. Um, Joseph Smith would help translate it later on, right, through the gift and power mm-hmm. of God. So I think that is what God is trying to get us to pay attention to in the, in the latter days, this record of Joseph with Judah. And it's going to confound false doctrines. And if you study it deeply— And you pay attention to it. I mean, my friend Shandria Haro, she was the one that figured out that Moses wasn't even a Levite. Why? Because the Book of Mormon says very clearly that this Moses was going to come through Joseph, you know? I mean, we just have to slow down and pay attention to these words and not let tradition dictate to us our understanding of these verses. Start over, throw it out, read it. What do the words say in the book, you know?
0: Such truth where you just said slow down. Uh, That's that's, a... That's slowing down is also, yeah, stepping back from traditional thinking and and just having a clean thought, have a, a clear thought what the words are actually saying and the stories being told. That deprogramming is so hard. I can't imagine. It is, yeah. Your background, uh, LDS, like I said, I don't have that life experience. But as much as I think we st- started this out at the beginning, as we were also told, you know, you're the one true church we pretty much everything bad about the religion was offloaded onto Brigham in our culture and, and, you know, happened out in Utah or on the way to Utah and, and Joseph was clean as, as, could be in this, this, this perfect restoration. And I think, Oh, I heard it said on one of the interviews it, coming from the LDS side, everything that, uh, it was the exact opposite, you know, Oh, this is an RLDS source. They're just trying to make Joseph clean and you can't trust it. You know, he practiced polygamy and and those things. So uh,
1: anyway, so you and and I both know that both of our histories have been jacked with and tampered with, right?
0: Yeah. But your focus on, you know, what was going on as Joseph was alive and as even, you know, two years months after the church was officially uh, restored or, or set up how quickly things have happened. So another one of those things that we had, I don't know if we're wanting to leave uh, priesthood yet, or if you had anything else to add on that, I wanted to bring it up.
1: Oh, you can keep going.
0: Um, yeah, cause I had, I have another question as far as priesthood. I hear a lot in well, it's in the Doctrine and Covenants from both of our, our sides, but the word keys, I, I went and looked in the Bible, priesthood keys. You know if you just think about what that word means from and a key is something that unlocks a door so you can open the door and get through the doorway or into another room're you're, you're, that's what those word keys are. So I thought, where does it talk about this in relation to priesthood? Well, the Bible mentions it the word keys only three times. Uh, one of those is in Matthew when Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter, whatever that meant. And tells him whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven. And then in, in uh Sealing power. Yeah, it's sealing. So that's a different word for us and you yeah, sealed in heaven. The though.
1: real sealing power, the about the gotcha. ability to command the elements and command the angels, not husband and wife being stuck forever miserably together, you know?
0: Yeah. And so then the other time it's mentioned is in Revelation, where it's talking about the keys to hell, that Jesus uh, has the keys of hell and death. And of course, we, we believe he descended into hell to preach to the, to the spirits in prison. The Book of Mormon, uh, the keys are mentioned one time, and that's, uh, <laughs> they got the keys from Laban so they could get the plates. That had nothing to do with, keys. with priesthood. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, we have this restoration of, priesthood and it seems like everybody and their brother is showing up with a key to something.
1: Gotta have a key. Gotta own that. <laughs>
0: you know? And I wondered why so heavy uh, and I, so in the LDS, I've heard it referenced like the husband has the priesthood keys. Is that, is that something real or is that a... Oh
1: uh, yeah, people talk about that that weird stuff all the time in LDS culture.
0: What, what, what What does it have in your culture? Uh, I I don't even
1: know. I mean, I don't call it my culture anymore. Sorry. They're not my people. Um, I mean, some of them are. I love them. I care about them. They're good folks. They're trying to do their best, I think. Um, But they've been just victims of just not finding out for themselves. They're, They're relying on the arm of flesh, and that's why they're cursed today. Everybody is. I was too. I mean, I still am. I'm still unraveling false doctrine and false beliefs every single day. And if you're not, then yeah, you're going to be settled on some some false things. But so they talk about keys. Um, they say stuff like you know the president of the church has the keys to revelation, um, the keys to priesthood ordinances in the temple. That sounds Levitical, doesn't it? Um, but also you know a husband has the keys to preside over his family to receive revelation only in regards to his family. Can't receive revelation for the church, or you can't interpret doctrine with revelation. You just all you can do is tell your daughter where to go to college by praying about it. I mean, that's kind of the limit of priesthood holders in the family, right? Okay.
0: Well, a couple of things that stick out to me is in regarding to the, to the keys is uh, the RLDS section 83. It's 84 for the LDS is a a scripture that I've heard quoted so many times. And it says the power of God is manifested through the ordinances and and priesthood. I I think it, specifically says without those things, then the power of God is not manifest or it's manifested through those things. So Mm. that's really, that is a really strong statement because it makes you wonder. So without the priesthood, where am I at with my relationship with God then?
1: Well, I think the the power of godliness being manifest, I think, is clearly spelled out in the Book of Mormon to mean that the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is what God will give you if you have a broken heart and contrite spirit. That's the only ordinance that's designed to manifest the power of godliness, from what I can tell, right? And people can argue about what that means exactly, but you remember, Jesus gave the the disciples there in the American continent the ability to go out and baptize everybody and to whoever they lay their hands on after they pray and get confirmation— they could receive the Holy Ghost. And so there really is a day of Pentecost, a, a rebirth, a baptism of fire experience that's, that's really necessary to, to help purify people and to help them come unto Christ and have a you know, good relationship with him where they become his sons and daughters. I think that's what 84 is talking about, if anything. Now, 84 has some issues. Uh, 84 is talking about the Aaronic Priesthood, right? The law of carnal commandments. How does that sound good? And then, you know, which the Lord in his wrath caused to continue with the house of Aaron. <laughs> so, How's that a good thing? You know, the, if the Lord's angry and he causes something to happen, like stop thinking that's from God. Like that's a curse that he sm- smote those people with to let the descendants of Aaron, you know, use unrighteous dominion for several centuries.
0: That, that's um, I, I got a communication from a listener this week and, uh, she said just from sitting in church one day listening thought am i a member of a cult it just kind of hit her like this kind of language where you have a priesthood holding the keys to unlocking god's power to you does a number on you mentally especially again like when you start having that crisis of faith where you're wondering well where would i go then if i don't keep buying into this because we're so programmed to believe that there's certain things only the priesthood can give you, uh, you know, and then they, you know, by the power of Christ. But there's a big mediator besides Jesus to the Heavenly Father, which is the priesthood, it seems, in some ways.
1: Yeah, and, and the only priesthood talked about in the Book of Mormon is the, is the Holy Order, right? That of Melchizedek, the Order of Melchizedek. And even JSD Genesis 14, we read about that. It's not given by hand-to-head ordination. It's not given... Uh, patriarchally, from father and mother, passed down. It comes from the voice of God, strictly. And you see examples of that where Alma was called of God to do a certain work at the waters of Mormon. You see you know, Nephi, son of Helaman, he's given that power as well, that sealing power, those keys, so to speak, where he can command the elements and they would obey. Um, In the presence of mine angels, I declare it. So God's voice himself was giving this quote-unquote priesthood to these guys in the book of Mormon. I I don't see any example of anyone slapping hands on some dude's head, some 12 year old and and giving him the the power to act in God's name. It just, it doesn't work that way. God gives that power, not humans. So I think if anyone's claiming to run around having the Melchizedek priesthood, they don't understand the priesthood well enough. If they think that you can put hands on someone else's head and give it to them, that's not how this works. You know,
0: that's interesting. Uh, um, I think the Bishop, it says a bishop can be uh, a member of the Aaronic if they are
1: a literal descendant of Aaron. That's another scripture that I've wondered about. Um, I mean, frankly, according to the old Testament, sorry to cut you off. Nobody should have the Aaronic priesthood unless they're a Levite. And so now you've got the Latter-day Saints running around bragging about how in their patriarchal blessings, they're of Ephraim, most of them, the white people, Manasseh for, for other groups, some Benjamin occasionally, but, you don't have the Aaronic priesthood if you're not a descendant of Aaron. I'm sorry. You can't have it both ways. You can't ordain an Ephraimite into the order of Aaron. Because Old Testament was, it was a lineal thing. It was their lineage, right? You remember when there was that guy trying to carry the ark and he wasn't a Levite? And he, he got, he got struck, struck down by him. lightning. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, which do you want to believe? Like, if you believe the Aaronic priesthood really is a thing, that's fine. That's cool. What's your lineage, though? It better be direct descendant of Aaron or else you don't have it anyway. But you can't just sort of make stuff up because you want to believe it and expect that to be a thing. I mean, if the Aaronic Priesthood really is a thing, then guess what? You better be a dang Levite, pure blood, or else you don't have it.
0: Yeah, I will say, so Oliver, uh, I think to the end of his life, never still held to that experience, him and Joseph. So I wonder you have to take a line of thinking, I mean, in a logical way. Was it a, was it a false experience from something that wasn't of God? Maybe it was a different spirit. Was it, did they misunderstand what was happening? If it was John the Baptist and Peter, James and John, was it just, they had this gift of priesthood, but, but then, you know, there was two ordinations. So that's, it's uh, it's a hard one. It's probably
1: yeah
0: out of everything in the history of the church. One of the hardest Things for me to understand uh, because yeah, it's
1: so and, and human nature's at play here. There were there were people. Joseph was young when he did the Book of Mormon and started this church thing.
0: Kids, he, they were just kids. They, they were,
1: were, yeah. Uh, uh, Sidney Rigdon was a little bit older, and he was, you know, he was a, a Bible scholar. He was probably the most educated as far as the Bible went, but. You know, Sidney Rigdon had a lot of influence on Joseph and and others. And, you know, he was trying to put stuff together and convince Joseph that, you know, we need Aaronic Priesthood and, you know, here's how it was in the Old Testament. So I think Joseph could have just either delegated or bought into some of the stuff. And I I think his education was, his understanding was probably evolving too. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And that's okay. I don't fault him for writing revelations that talk about some of the stuff that's demonstrably false these days. It's Okay. I, I don't think most of this stuff in the Doctrine and Covenants is the bulletproof Word of God type stuff. I think a lot of it's inspiration. I thought a lot of it has some really good stuff in it. But you just have to look at all things together and just just be smart about it. You know, If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God, right? Wisdom mm-hmm. is what we're after. It's not yes and no answers necessarily from prayer. It's, you know, if you need someone else to tell you what's true, like, sorry, like you're... You're not going to get very far in your knowledge, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if looking back on whatever experience they had, if it was, if it was then morphed through their hindsight into maybe something different. Since it was a number of years before reported, um, that's that's one line of thinking, the same as the the first vision. Um, yeah, I don't know if you studied. Yeah, I'm sure you. The
1: 1832 first vision, like Jesus appeared. That's it.
0: Yeah, which is similar, terribly similar to, in a good way, to uh, the Jared, the brother Jared, seeing the finger of God, yeah. which was which was Jesus. It's consistent. Right. Um, another thing, the baptism uh, or uh, you know, lectures of faith very clearly state that that God is uh, the Father is a personage of spirit. That Jesus is a personage of a body. Uh, this that was removed from the from the doctrine and covenants later on. But that that makes you go. Lectures on faith uh,
1: is another question, right? So, I mean, the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon theology is that Jesus Christ is the Father. Right. You can study that until you're blue in the face and there's no other conclusion you can come to. Now, when most people are like, wow, well, then why is Jesus praying to himself? That's weird. Well, look at what the actual prophets who knew him are saying about him. They're saying that God himself would come down among the children of men and he would do this stuff, right? And then he would, you know, rise back up. So... I mean, LDS theology has morphed into a lot of different things that are contrary to the Book of Mormon, and that's okay. I honestly think that, you know, I believe, and many people that I study with believe that there was a condemnation and a, and a curse put on the saints early on, scripturally. Now, 1832, 1834, they argue about when it happened exactly, but in 1834, they changed the name of the church and got rid of Jesus' name. They became the Church of Christ. Or the Church of Latter-day Saints, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there you've got a major, major problem with the church. Like, they've changed the name of it. They've gotten rid of the Church of Christ, or, yeah, Jesus Christ's name. And in D&C 109, which is in in our our canon, that's the dedicatory prayer for the Kirtland Temple, Kirtland Meeting House.
0: Read that yesterday.
1: At the end of it, the last couple of verses in there, Joseph Smith is begging the Lord to put his name back on this people. Where did, where did the Lord's name go? Like they're obviously condemned of sorts. They're in trouble. And you can kind of see that Joseph's pleading to get them back somehow. Um, And so keep in mind, these priesthood ordinances, the Aaronic priesthood story, uh, how to ordain priests, deacons, teachers, elders, all that stuff. That was largely an 1835 DNC edition. Now they could have been, they could have had liberty to just set up the church, however they see fit. There's a lot of things that the Lord says in the Doctrine and Covenants where this phrase is used, it mattereth not. Mm -hmm. Whether you go by boat or by ship or whether you buy a boat or rent one, I don't care. It mattereth not. There's certain things the Lord does not care about. This could have been one of those things where after the condemnation happened, they could have just been left to their own devices to organize a church and a people the best they knew how. And so, yeah, they could, they could say, hey, teachers, priests, deacons, this is how it works. They could outline section 20, section 107. They can have all these revelations about it to try to help the people understand it. I think that's okay. I, I think right. at what happened after the condemnation, I don't think God really cared. He, you could do it however you wanted. Joseph, you're the president. You do whatever you want. Make, make Hiram president if you want to. <laughs> and you guys can just run this thing by a committee. You guys can vote as a council. I really don't think God cared how it was structured after the condemnation, because he was aiming for Zion. God wanted Zion to be established at some point, whether or not it was in Joseph's day or in a future tense. I don't know. I tend to think that Joseph Smith was called to translate the book of Mormon. And that's about it to pretend to no other gift. And I think that, um,
0: the original revelation, right? That was what it said in the book of commandments.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think God needed the book of Mormon to be here on the earth in the latter days. Not the last days. Now, in the last days, you read about New Jerusalem and a bunch of things, and, and maybe Zion will flourish at some future point. But I think Joseph, if anything, he was called to lay the foundation of Zion by giving us an accurate book of how Zion has lived, which is Fourth Nephi. You know, And, and maybe at some other future point, um, something will happen and Zion will succeed. I don't know. I don't really know. But I don't know that... I, I don't think trying to take the leftovers of what happened after 1832... In the Latter day Saint Church and all the branches that branched off from that. I think we're trying too hard to, to merge what we see today into scripture when we just need to realize that, hey, the, this, the experiment kind of failed. They tried, it didn't work. And they that's just. That's an had important to s- point,
0: Mark. That's a very important point because I think that's where uh, you can talk about that and give people hope today that see failure after failure totally. after failure. Totally. Yeah.
1: The best and is then- yet to come.
0: Yeah, and in, in our culture where we don't have, where the community of Christ has apostles, the restoration is far since removed from what they're doing today. Uh, it's it's about who has priesthood authority. You know, we, we have different groups here in Independence all based on who's legitimate successors to the church, who's the prophet, who has the authority. And it's always trying to stuff the, yeah. the 1830 model into today and get back to that. And it's Doesn't like, fit. I don't think, That's how the church is going to be restored. Jesus says he'll take the gospel from the Gentiles and take it back to the house of Israel. And then if we, you know, if we straighten up and and are seeking God with all of our heart, we can assist them in building uh, the kingdom of God here on earth. Uh, That was another storyline that I came to still coming to understand in the book of Mormon was that Zion is not going to be established and it hasn't failed because the Gentiles have failed. The Gentiles were never going to build Zion without having the gospel be returned to the house of Israel. And then Jesus comes and helps us establish this holy place where people come to learn of their ways. Uh, and my my thought was always gathered independence to help build Zion, you know, a holy city. Uh, boy, the hearts of men now, that's that's not going to happen without direct
1: totally. divine yeah. intervention. Exactly. And the, And the prophecies in the Book of Mormon about the Latter-day Gentiles, they're not good. No. That's us. That's like, us. We done messed up, you know? So yeah,
0: uh, Rob said that in your interview with Rob Fotheringham, He said when he realized the Book of Mormon was talking to him, it came out to us, the Gentiles. Yeah. The, like, this is the the bad deal, us. We're in the yeah. middle of that.
1: And, and Jesus even says, like, never at any time am I going to manifest myself to the Gentiles except through the Holy Ghost. And so it's going to be given back to the house of Israel, and, and maybe he'll manifest himself to those people. But I don't – I mean – some would argue, yeah, if you're baptized by fire or whatever, you become numbered with the house of Israel. And that might be true. I don't know. i am still got a question mark on that verse. But I think numbered among the house of Israel, that might be something different than becoming actual house of Israel. I don't know. Numbered among them? I don't know what that means. Right. But I think that we've got some exciting things happening in the future, for sure. I think as the faster we can understand that we're in a deep, dark apostasy and have been for 200 years or so, I think you know, 190, 185. I mean, as soon as we come to that realization and we look ourselves in the mirror accurately and say, look, we're a fallen people. Look around the society. We don't have the fruits of a Zion around around us. Most people would agree the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? But there's a reason why. It's because, you know, a, a lot of us on the earth, all of us probably are having trouble repenting and coming into him and and correcting ourselves and aligning ourselves with with God, which is largely he's teaching to love one another, keep his commandments, serve people, give to the poor. Um, those are the basic foundational building blocks to religion, pure religion, as James would say. Um, but we, we're struggling to even get some of that stuff down. So, yeah, we're not going to understand a lot of the deep, dark mysteries about whatever else, you know, Zion mm-hmm. and, and priesthood and whatever else, you know, we're trying to wrestle with. Until we as a people kind of come to a point where we understand our awful situation, that we are carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature, and that we need to call upon God and repent and and come unto him with full purpose of heart. And not until you do that will any of this stuff work out.
0: That's, uh, yeah. And I find hope in the fact that it's not this scattered well. I find hope in this. There's help coming. The Calvary's coming. Uh, the the Israelites. You know, there's a group called One for Israel. I don't know if you've you've seen that. They have YouTube videos uh, with millions of hits. Uh, there's uh, the Jews in Israel are, are the most tapped in people to YouTube. Ninety nine some percent of them are involved with that, and now they've got YouTube videos with millions of of views on testimonies of these Jews coming to Jesus firsthand. He's, he's appearing to them. He's manifesting himself to them. And yet it's if the numbers is still, they said 0.4% of the Jews that live in Israel are Christians. So, But it's it's starting to happen. And the Book of Mormon says, when, when they start to understand Christ was the Messiah, they must needs have these things. The Book of Mormon is going to just, I, I really believe, play that part. And like, wow, these are the covenants that we have restored to us.
1: Hopefully. Yeah. They've got a lot of tradition to overcome just like Latter-day yeah. saints do. And so, but if they can soften their heart and let truth be their religion, then yeah, they can, they can dig themselves out of any, any trouble they've been in historically, I think.
0: Well, we've kind of gone all over the place. Do you, uh, we did mention another thing that was the baptism for the dead and how that came to be, or do you, do you have time to talk about that? You want to do that another time or how are you holding up?
1: Uh we could. Yeah. I've got plenty of time this morning if you want to get into it.
0: Okay, yeah. so baptism for the dead, <laughs> uh, simply I think Mosiah 8 covers everything. If you die without the law, you're not, you're okay as, as our little children because of the atonement of Christ
1: alive in cross. the most
0: simplest form. Why baptism for the dead? What's the history as you understand it, how that started, or what do you know about that?
1: Um, I mean a friend of mine Matt helped me put together a brief timeline of, of some of his notes of of where this originated. Um you know January 21st 1836 the first thing on his his list was um and the voice came of the Lord and and thus came the voice of the Lord unto me saying all who have died without a knowledge of this gospel who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. Now that's about I think Alvin, Joseph's brother, he's, he's referring mm-hmm. to. So there's that idea that like, look, if you would have received it with all your heart, if you would have been allowed to tarry, then you will be saved in the kingdom of God. There's no mention of an ordinance or baptism or anything attached. There's no condition attached to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe that could be, um, the idea that, you know, those who died without law, you know, in, in DNC 76, it talks about how they will, you know, they're of a terrestrial nature. Right. So, um, July 1838, Joseph Smith's answers to questions published in the Elder's Journal. Question, if the Mormon doctrine is true, what has become of all those who have died since the days of the apostles? The answer, which they believe was written by Joseph, the answer, quote, all those who have not had an opportunity of hearing the gospel and being administered by an inspired man in the flesh must have it hereafter before they can be finally judged, end quote. So there's that little snippet. That was July 1838. As you can tell, this is much, much later on in Mormon theology, long after the apostasy, long after the the condemnation and stuff like that, you know, the Kirtland period, the Missouri War era, the Nauvoo period, you're seeing a, a high evolution of doctrine into stuff that was just not Book of Mormon at all, right? Yeah. Nothing in the Book of Mormon about baptisms for the dead. Um, in fact, there's a lot of stuff about the atonement itself that suggests that, um, it's impossible. Like you can't do that. Like you can't be baptized. I mean, even DNC's 22 says all, something to the effect of, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but a man can be baptized a hundred times and it avails him nothing. Right. Except, you know, you got to enter in at the gate, which is the baptism of fire and the Holy ghost, which is the full baptism as Nephi taught in second Nephi 31.
0: Born of the spirit.
1: Yeah. The gate is born. the, you know, Jesus is the keeper of the gate. He employs no servant there. There's no priesthood leader at the gate saying, hey, "Here, let me give you the, the, the key. Let me give you the, the ordinance to get you in." You know, He's the keeper of the gate. He employs no servant there. And so people need to come unto Christ, I think, fully, um, and that's what's hard about baptisms for the dead. How do you, Mike, give to one of your ancestors, by proxy, a broken heart and a contrite spirit and a repentant mm-hmm. attitude? Show show me how, and I'll believe in baptisms for the dead. But until you can figure that part out of it, the heart and the condition and the repentance side that's necessary for any of this stuff to work, that's just another dead work we're doing in the temples. We're running on the treadmills and wasting our time there, as far as I'm concerned. Because baptism, even Joseph Smith said, you might as well baptize a bag of sand if it's not done in view of the remission of sins or the baptism of fire.
0: Bring forth, yeah, fruit, meat for repentance. Yes, Uh, yes. And I don't know how to make
1: spirits do that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So my understanding, uh, I guess, from, of course, the RLDS never embraced this doctrine. And once again, I, I believe Joseph gave the revelation or uh, it's it was removed from our Doctrine and Covenants and was in the appendix for a long time and then taken out. I think it was Section 107. Um, but how uh, well, you can't even even the laying on of hands for the spirit, I think, has been referred to as the baptism of the spirit and I don't I don't know that that's necessarily a hundred percent so you, you you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, when you're confirmed or have the hands laid on you in symbolism of the baptism but that's still you have to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit uh, and I believe at some point God uh, makes manifest to you that you're saved in his kingdom you have a uh, just a relationship with Him, as the Book of Mormon says, those those priesthood men were so they had no more disposition to do evil. I believe that's the final changed heart of being baptized and born again that you have to have to enter into the kingdom. The yeah,
1: moment. you have to have a mighty change of heart. I mean, and and so Alma in thir- thirty four, Alma thirty four, he talks about how there cometh if you procrastinate the day of your repentance. Uh, There comes a nighttime where no work can be be performed. You can't do any work. Uh, Like, if you've procrastinated all of your days repenting, like, sorry. Like, you kind of missed out on that opportunity, you know? Uh, But the Book of Mormon is also very clear that if you die without the law or your little children, they need no baptism. Uh, Mormon 8, verse 22, maybe, says something to the effect of repentance is for those who are under the curse of a broken law. They have need to repent. Not children, not people who had no law. And so most of the baptisms for the dead we're doing for people. These people died without law, largely. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe they're alive in Christ, maybe they're not. But the Book of Mormon is very clear. Like, look, you don't need to repent unless you've been given the law and you've broken it. Children don't need that. You know, and we're, we're baptizing children. <laughs> I mean, infants yeah. uh, we're doing all that stuff in the temple and it's it's pretty pretty silly, I think.
0: Okay, so do we have a cl- yeah, we're people were being baptized in Nauvoo for the dead before the temple. So it's pretty much tied right directly into the temple work for the LDS Uh, They had to to have the Nauvoo temple built by a certain date or the Lord would no longer accept their baptisms for the dead. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I guess, yeah. But some some people think, I mean, there's not a lot of stuff on this. mm -hmm. There's some that suggest that, yes, baptizing ancestors, and some people believe that, hey, there's something to this, but you have to be very selective in who you do. If you know this person had a really good heart, maybe you can baptize them. I don't know. But um, I, I just don't see it being a... A thing in history, you know, the First Corinthians fifteen twenty nine. People are talking about it's a chapter on it's chapter not about baptism for the dead. It's about resurrection. And there Paul, is a, Paul's yeah. talking to these people who don't believe in the resurrection. He's like, then why are they baptizing for the dead? This apostate group. Why are these guys baptizing for the dead if they don't even believe in the resurrection? Paul's not saying the latter day saints are baptizing for the dead in the temples. He he's never said that. He's talking about a group of people who don't even believe in the resurrection concept. These are not the saints that are baptizing for the dead. They're other people.
0: Yeah, he was making a point, and and that's that's a scripture that is used out of
1: context so much to, oh, to justify that. Yeah. Uh, see in the Bible it says baptisms for the dead are a thing. Like I know. It <laughs> I read it very carefully. It's it's uh it's actually Paul's ragging on that group of people, you know.
0: So, as far as you knowing source material, is it a legitimate, is it a legitimate revelation that we know came from the hand of Joseph Smith, or uh, even if it didn't, I don't know. I, I think it did, but they were still practicing it while he was alive. That's, that's yeah. documented definitely. So it there
1: are hints that Joseph Smith talked about it. Yeah, it was a thing in Nauvoo, no doubt about it. I'm not saying that it was it was made up or whatever, but I think Joseph could have been sucked into it. Um, I don't know. There's just not a lot of explaining from him about how it all works. Okay. Maybe there is some way that something happens. I I don't know. But as we're doing it now in the modern Latter-day Saint church, not even close. Swing and a miss. Major. There's no way that that can be compatible with the atonement as taught in the Book of Mormon, in my opinion.
0: This house I live in now, I bought from a RLDS couple that had... He was actually the pastor of a church where my mom and dad, uh, my mom went to nursing school here in Independence a long time ago. But he they left the RLDS church and joined the LDS church because of the fact that the RLDS didn't practice baptism for the dead and that that had to be a saving ordinance. that was part of their culture. And I thought that was interesting that that was the thing that brought him over to the other side. Um,
1: curious. That's uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, so the baptism for the dead was a thing in Nauvoo. They were doing it. Nobody's denying that. Um, whether or not <clears throat> it fits into the scriptural teachings about the atonement, that's where most people have a problem. So little children are alive in Christ. Paul talks about being alive in Christ. If you transcend the law, the law, if you're living by the law of dead works and carnal commandments, then you are dead in Christ and you need to be reborn. You need to be, baptized you need to be so you have metaphorically teachings in the scriptures where people are alive in christ and dead dead into the law so maybe that's what's being referred to as baptisms for the dead is that those who are spiritually dead need to be reborn and and baptized so i don't know and and maybe there's a chance i don't know i don't have a lot of evidence either way but could joseph smith have been talking about something besides baptizing dead ancestors when he talked about baptizing for the dead who were the dead? Were the dead the same group of people that were cursed, smitten, condemned, and left to flounder in Kirtland and Nauvoo? Maybe William Marks was talking about how Joseph Smith was preparing for a reformation, disband the whole church and start over.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? He's hinting towards like that's where Joseph's mind was, according to William Marks. Um, what uh, were were the saints dead in Nauvoo? Did they need? A rebaptism of sorts, right? And now, here's the weird thing in DNC, uh, what is it? 120. No, what's the section about uh, the, this temple being built? And if you run out of time, then you, you get cut off.
0: Oh, well, I think it is 124.
1: One, it's 124 okay. in, in ours, um, and it's the January 1841 thing. So, here's the deal you have a just God who's merciful too, right? Mm-hmm. And he's telling the people on the earth, Hey, if you don't get this temple built in time, I'm going to cut off you and you're dead. How is that fair for the dead people? Mm-hmm. If the people on the earth procrastinated and it's their fault, the temple wasn't built. You telling me all the spirits in prison are like, shoot, that sucks. I guess we'll all be condemned because they didn't build a temple. Like, right. how is that fair? How is that just? Does that really ring true of the God that you know in your mind? doesn't me. I have no interest in a God that would punish a bunch of people in the dead spirit world based on what the people on the earth did or didn't do. That's stupid. That's being punished for Adam's transgression, and it flies in the face of the doctrine that Joseph tried to teach in the Wentworth letter that man are not punished for other people's sins. So we have to reconcile all these weird things in the church history and just say, was there something else? Is there something we don't understand? I think the answer is probably. And I admit, I don't know everything about baptisms for the dead. But the way we're interpreting it now and doing it mm-hmm. now in the LDS temples, I can tell you 100%, it's an apostate practice, and it doesn't mean anything. It's a waste of time, in my opinion.
0: Uh Probably won't get into it here today, but the temples is an interesting topic, I think, to um, to maybe discuss sometime if, if we get together again. But, um, well, Mark, I appreciate your time.
1: Sure. Today. It's been fun. Thanks
0: for being so accessible and uh, <laughs> actually responding to an email I sent. Uh, anytime. Anytime. And so I, want to, yeah. I
1: want everyone that's listening to this to know that I, I don't know everything, but I do wake up every morning and try to study this stuff and understand it better. So ask me in a month or next year what I believe, and you'll find some differences, and it'll evolve. And so I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. And, uh, I, but most of all, my ministry is mostly about teaching people to slow down, analyze the teachings, study the doctrines out before you snap it onto your belief system. Be careful what you let in. Right, Because Mm -hmm. that's how apostasies happen. It's not because of unbelief and people not believing what's there. Most of these apostasies, I think, are happening because people are snapping on a bunch of false beliefs to their belief system with no filter.
0: And we're not the first. uh, The restoration is not uh, unique. Through the history of of existence, people have truth and they leave truth and they add to truth. That's the history of the world. We talked about the Old
1: Testament. The old Testament was the problem came because people added a bunch of stuff to the story. Not necessarily they came in and took a bunch of stuff out. I mean, they did Mm -mm. that too, but it's really, we got to be careful what gets added to our belief systems. That's where all the damage happens. That's where all the distractions happen. That's where the idolatry happens.
0: Um, Yeah. I think the church is to support people in their walk with Christ. But uh, when you start adding on traditions, you have this man-made tradition. as a church and you have to walk through that door to get to Jesus and, and my ministry or, or my interest is reading the doctrine of the Book of Mormon that was brought forth in this miraculous day for this time and trying to uh, have that be my door to Jesus, Those those that Jesus that's revealed in the Book of Mormon. It's not even the book. We've too long have defended the book. Who that Jesus is, um, Yeah, it brings me closer to Who's that. It's God. Yeah. Yeah. Zizram, right? Are you telling me that? that the son, the, the son of man is the very eternal father. And and Amulek says, yes, that's what I'm telling
1: <laughs> that's you. That's exactly what, what I'm, I'm standing before
0: the bar of him and the father and the Holy Ghost who are all one God. Yeah, just
1: church. like Moroni, just like uh, Abinadi, just like Nephi taught before they were changed in 1835, where they scribbled it out and changed the it. The son to of, yeah. So, yeah it's just, very all, consistent. All, all the Book of Mormon te- teachers, or the prophets were, were in agreement on that one. Yeah.
0: Everyone. At least until their
1: words were changed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Well, hope for the saints, the words of God are true. Yeah. Uh, and mankind likes to muddy it up, but sure. we're, just, just we're be, good
1: so, to, be good to each other. Be nice to yeah. each other. Go serve people, you know, be nice to each other, uh, stand for truth, learn the truth, um, use the Holy Ghost and, and, and the tools that God's given us to try to figure this mess out the best you can. And you'll be okay. I think God yeah. knows what, what condition we're in. He's going to be merciful as long as we do our part and we stand for truth. You know, DNC talks about how those who loveth and maketh a lie have the same fate. So whether or not you made the lie yourself and are responsible for the lie that you believed, it doesn't matter. If you love the lie, you're in the same boat as, as the person who made the lie. So we need to be That's careful.
0: Nice nugget there, Mark, to end Thanks. with. Thank you. That's very good. Hey, uh, until next time, if we do it next time, maybe, uh thank you. I so okay. enjoyed your time today.
1: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. Bye. See ya.